0: the pursuit of joy is something that every human being has in common and if you think about it just about everything we do in a given day is related to our pursuit of joy the activities we engage in the clothes we put on the food we eat The music we listen to, it's all aimed at satisfying our personal preferences. It's all aimed at giving us a measure of joy. And yet I suspect that most of us, probably all of us, have come to realize that the joy we get from those kinds of things is usually short-lived. You might even say that lasting joy is elusive. It's hard to retain. It's hard to lay hold of. Could it be that we are looking to root our joy in the wrong things? Could it be that we are looking for the wrong kind of joy I hope you are, as I am, greatly encouraged by this prayer of Jesus, recorded for our edification in John chapter 17. It is here that we learn that Jesus wants you and he wants me to be joyful. That he wants us to be people marked by genuine happiness. More than that, he makes it an item of prayer. The Son goes to the Father and petitions Him, asks Him to make us a joyful people. Now we're just going to look at one verse today from this chapter. John chapter 17, verse 13, where Jesus prays, I'm coming to you now, Jesus speaking to the Father, but I say these things while I'm still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. Just one verse. But I want to make three observations from this verse, which I hope will both instruct and also inspire your pursuit of joy. The first observation is this. Giving attention to Jesus' teaching is joy-producing. Giving attention to Jesus' teaching is joy-producing. In this verse, Jesus connects the things that he says to the joy that he desires his followers to experience. If it sounds familiar, you might want to know we've read this elsewhere. Earlier in John's Gospel, in chapter 15, verses 10 and 11, Jesus says this. He says, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Now, the suggestion that obeying the commands of another is joy producing. I realize this is a counterintuitive principle. This is a counterintuitive cultural principle to say that if you do exactly what another person tells you, that that will be the source of unending happiness for you, most of us would question that. Why? Because some of you work in an environment, you're an employee, and where you work day by day, Monday to Friday, maybe on weekends, you get told what to do. There's a boss giving you orders, correcting you, instructing you. And it's not always a pleasant experience. This kind of thing can even happen in our own home. Maybe we have a parent who's always telling us what to do, what not to wear, what not to listen to, what not to watch on TV. Sometimes it's a parent that's telling us what we ought to do. Or maybe it's our spouse. Maybe it's our spouse who's constantly making demands, asking our behavior to change or to conform to a particular standard. Our experience tells us that obedience to another human being is not normally joy-producing. And perhaps that's why we sometimes hesitate When it comes to fully submitting ourselves and giving ourselves to Jesus Christ. We imagine that if we did everything that Jesus wanted us to do, some of us imagine that would be the end of joy. Maybe you're thinking, I'm tired of doing what everyone else wants me to do. I'm tired of taking orders. I'm tired of this set of rules and instructions. We imagine that obeying Jesus will take away our joy. But Jesus says the opposite is true. That the way to experience lasting joy comes when we give attention to the teaching of and commandments of Jesus Christ. What I glean from this passage is that joy is a byproduct of our obedience to Christ. So we don't even actually have to go after joy directly. We go after Christ. And in going after Christ in his ways, we gain joy as a consequence. That's the first observation. That the way to experience lasting joy comes when we give attention to Jesus' teaching. What's the second observation? It's this. Jesus prays. He prays that we would have a full measure of joy. That we would have a full measure of joy. And in John chapter 15, we heard something similar. Jesus talks of our joy being made complete or our joy being fulfilled, or our joy being perfected. What I want you to notice there is that the God we worship is not a God of half measures. The God we worship is not stingy. He does not come to us with a clenched fist, but with an open hand. Conceivably, when Jesus prayed this prayer, we might not have been thrown off. We might not have been surprised if it sounded like this. Father in heaven, give them a taste of my joy. Give them a sampling of my joy so that they might see what's possible, at least in a degree. But Jesus doesn't pray like this. He doesn't ask the Father to give us a little bit of joy. He prays that we would receive the full measure of what the Father wants to give us. I want to give you an analogy, and please don't share this with my daughter for reasons that will be obvious in a moment. My daughter, Anya, is addicted to eating popcorn. Almost every single day, she makes popcorn. And from time to time, I share an interest in the popcorn she has made. And so what will happen is Anya will pop a bag of popcorn. And of course, I will go over and I'll say, Well, Anya, can, will you share that with me? Can I have some of your popcorn? And what she usually does of this big bowl of popcorn, she pulls out a piece <laughs> and gives it to me. And, and I look at her like, That's it? And then she'll give me a second piece. And maybe if I'm lucky, I'll get a third piece of popcorn. But that's it. Two, three pieces, and then that's it. That's all you're getting. Go away, Dad. (laughs) Now, to be fair, there have been occasions where Anya not wanting to relinquish those two pieces actually makes me my own back. And it brings her great delight to do so. Some days she'll make two bags or two bowls of popcorn and she'll bring one in to me. Friends, what I want you to know this morning is that when Jesus gives joy, he doesn't give you one piece. He doesn't give you two pieces. He gives you the full measure of joy. He gives you the entire bag. The God we worship, the God of this universe is not stingy. But he is generous with his children. That's the second observation. That we get the full measure of joy. The third observation from the same verse. Is that Jesus prays for us to possess. And this is very important. His joy. Notice he doesn't say, Father, make them joyful. Father, give them all the joy they can. He says, give them the joy that I have. Give them my joy. And this is an important point that Christians often miss. We hear that Jesus wants us to be joyful, and we imagine that to mean that Jesus will give us what we think will make us happy. What we think will satisfy our needs. But we must never think of Jesus the way young children think about Santa Claus. Jesus is not inclined to grant us merely what we wish for. Jesus is inclined to give us what any good parent would do. He would give us that which is truly beneficial to us. Christ will give us that which will contribute to our growth in Christ's likeness. And as we hear Jesus pray for our possession of his joy, we need to recognize that his joy has a different character than the joy that we might naturally pursue for ourselves. So that the joy of Christ looks different, it feels different, it is different fundamentally than the joy that we're probably seeking after on our own. We tend to associate joy with outward manifestations of exuberance. If we're smiling, if we're cheering, if we're laughing, if we're celebrating, then we imagine, yes, yes. I'm joyful, look at me, I'm I'm cheering, I'm laughing, I'm screaming for joy. But Christ's joy often emerges in far more subtle tones. Christ's joy is often supremely profound. Now I'm going to date myself with this example, but I was trying to think of an example, of, or to give you a picture or a framework of Christ's joy and what it looks like. And the best I could do, actually I've got two examples, but the best I could do in thinking of a movie uh, is, is something, a movie that was out before many of you over there were even born. The 1981 film, Chariots of Fire. Go home and ask your parents about it. They'll tell you. It was a good movie. I loved the movie, loved the soundtrack. Probably still have the tape somewhere. Chariots of Fire is the story of an Olympic athlete, a Scottish Olympic athlete, by the name of Eric Little. And and the movie centered around this little bit of conflict that he had between his athletic pursuits and his desire to glorify God at every turn. And the two come together in the movie. The two pursuits come together in the movie under what's now become a famous line from Chariots of Fire. And many of you know it. Eric Little said, When I run, I feel God's pleasure. When I run, I feel God's pleasure, God's joy. And so if we translate that for ourselves, it it should sound something like this. When I'm doing the thing that God designed me to do, that's when I'll be most joyful. When I'm doing the thing that God put me on this earth to do, that's when my joy will be supreme. And that's how you can explain a person in the most favorable of outward circumstances, and yet they're still miserable. Surely you've come across these individuals. I certainly have. Individuals who by outward standards have all they need. They have a healthy body, a healthy bank account. They're successful, they're popular, they have all the outward things that a person might hope for, and yet they're miserable. They lack true joy. Well, that's because the principle that the Bible teaches or conveys is that the possession of true joy, the possession of Christ's joy, is the byproduct of doing what God has put you on this earth to do. Now I said I had a second example, and I want to share it momentarily as an example from my own life, but I don't want to lead you astray with this example, so I want to qualify it first. And I want to make it clear from this pulpit, I don't possess Christ's joy as often as I'd like to. I don't possess Christ's joy as often as I ought to. So as I give this example in a few moments, I want you to know that this is my pursuit. I'm not standing here as someone who's arrived. I sometimes reduce my view of joy. I reduce my view of joy to having a big steak on the barbecue and then sitting on the sofa with my feet up. ...watching hockey on TV for hours at end. And the longer I sit there, the more chance I'll probably have a bag of Doritos as well. So I know what it's like to reduce joy down to something that's ridiculous. And I wonder if your experience has been at all like mine. When joy is seen as as the fulfillment of personal preferences... When joy is seen as getting my preferences met, the joy you receive tends to be meager. It tends to be superficial. And it tends to not last very long. So often I find myself wanting to be comfortable. So often I even want to be pampered. And yet the result when I am comfortable, the result when I am pampered, is always the same. I experience a thin veneer of happiness. The joy does not last. Here's the example I want to share with you. It's an example of my experience, thankfully, of possessing Christ's joy. And so I want to share a story with you, a ministry story, that's very, very special to me. Just over three years ago, I was, as you know, I regularly help in the community nearby, Bain and Grantstown. And at the time, three some years ago, I used to regularly participate in the after school program. And on Thursdays, that was a sports activity. And so we'd be out in the field, and I'd be throwing a football or kicking a soccer ball. But on this particular day, I saw a little boy sitting in the sand, crying his eyes out. So I went over to this little boy. He was probably around six years of age at the time. And I asked him, what is wrong? And he said that his tummy hurt. And after talking to this boy for a bit, I was able to determine that the reason this boy's tummy hurt is because he hadn't had any food all day. So this six-year-old boy was extremely hungry, and because of his hunger, was uncomfortable. So I took this little boy, and I walked him down the street, and I bought him some lunch. Nothing heroic, just meeting a basic need, a piece of chicken and some rice. So I fed the boy. And then weeks would pass and I would build my relationship with this six-year-old. We'd play soccer together. We'd play football. We'd we'd see each other at the after-school program when we're helping the children. And I asked the boy, as I got to know him better and as we had a little bit of a relationship together, I asked him if he ever thought about coming to church because he, he didn't have a church home. And and the little boy responded that he didn't have the clothes that he thought was necessary to attend church. That he had to save his his good uniform for school and didn't want to wear a school uniform to church. So I spoke with the leaders of this church and they made provision for me to get this boy and a few other boys some clothes. So he could have shoes to wear and and pants pants that were dressy and, and to church he came. And the reason I can't name this boy for you this morning is because he still attends here. This little boy from Bain and Grantstown who was sitting in the sand crying one day is a regular member of our Sunday school. The story doesn't stop there. A few weeks ago he came up to me and you think after 16 years of ministry maybe someone would have said this to the pastor at one point but this is the first time anyone ever said this to me. This little boy who's now, I guess, let's do the math, nine, maybe turning ten or is ten, he comes up to me a few weeks ago and he looks at me in the eye and he says, when I grow up I want to be a pastor like you. When I grow up he didn't say, I want to be a pastor. He said, when I grow up, I want to be a pastor like you. Story gets better, if you can believe it. About a week or two ago, my wife Allie comes up to me, and I, and I, I guess I could illustrate this if I have a dollar in my pocket. Allie comes up to me, and she hands me a dollar bill and a quarter. And she said, it's from that little boy, who I cannot name because he's a part of our Sunday school. It's this little boy who comes from a community where it's often difficult to have a daily meal. Somehow managed to get a dollar and a quarter. And he brought it to church because it was very important to this boy who wants to grow up and be a pastor that he give his dollar 25. The joy that I've gained from that friendship is worth more than anything this world can give me. The joy that I've gained from that relationship is worth all the gold medal hockey games I could ever watch. What was different about this situation? What's different is that it's Christ's joy when we're doing the thing that we're put on earth to do we experience a different kind of joy and i am certain the joy that i've gleaned from that relationship with that little boy will stay with me for the rest of my life even if he doesn't become a pastor i i I realize that that may not happen But that Christ's joy is the byproduct of doing what we're designed to do. You might be going after some other versions of joy. And those versions of joy will produce a happiness that will not last. You know that already. I'm not telling you anything new. But if you experience Christ's joy, you will find it to be profound And you will find that it will endure the rest of your life. Jesus wants you to have that kind of joy. And he wants you to have that kind of joy all the time. He wants you to have the full measure of it. And it's available to you. You can have that. But it may require an adjustment in your life it may require that we stop going after the things that make us comfortable and we start going after that which God has designed us to do. The Christian life is not an easy life. You know that. But the Christian life can be profoundly joyful. And my plea this morning to you is that you would pursue Christ's joy. My plea to you this morning is that you would pray for Christ's joy. Pray for it today. In Jesus' name, amen.